Are you enjoying our service today? I hope you are. It's an exciting day. We've seen so many people come and follow the Lord and believers' baptism. I think around 50 people. It's exciting stuff to see how God's working in people's hearts. We're in a series right now called Luke, and we're studying the life of Jesus through the first century book of Luke. And so we've, all, we've gotten to about chapter four. Uh, this is early in Jesus's ministry. He's mainly teaching and preaching in the area of Galilee, which is kind of like northern Israel, although a little bit in Judea, southern. And he's doing that. He's going to different towns. More and more crowds are following him. And a lot of times the crowds would say, hey, stay here with us. And Jesus would say, no, I have more cities to preach in, more towns to talk to people. And he kind of kept moving from place to place. He was in Capernaum, which became his base of operations, which is a small town on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And once he was in the synagogue there, and if you could imagine, they're in church together, and there was a demon-possessed man there who shouts out, he interrupts the service, and says, what have you to do with us? We know who you are, Jesus, Son of the Most High. So this guy identifies him. Jesus tells him to be quiet, casts him out. After that church service, they go to Simon Peter's home. Capernaum is where he lived. And then Simon Peter's mother-in-law was with fever. She was sick. Jesus healed her, and she began immediately to wait on them. And I know some of you from a different tradition are going, whoa, whoa, what? What what did you say? Peter? Peter had a mother-in-law? Well, that means Peter was married. Right. That's what the Bible says. So I'll let you work on that a little bit. And, uh, And then... He's still traveling, and then we see him um, coming up to, as crowds came larger, larger, and they were seeking him out, he went back again to Capernaum, but people from the region are flocking in, and, uh, and here's what happens in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. One day, talking about Jesus, one day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in to set him down in front of Jesus, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd They went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. So we we can just kind of picture this in our mind's eye. More and more people are following Jesus. He's becoming more and more popular. Now he's back in Capernaum. He's in somebody's house. We don't know exactly who that was. We can make guesses, but he's in there teaching and people are just flocking into the house so much for that some of the other gospel writers, Mark and Matthew, that they're telling us that there was crowds around the doors and the windows. I mean, there's just crowds everywhere. And there are these four men who had a friend who was paralyzed and because of everything that he had heard, he knew, they knew that Jesus could heal him, but they can't get him into the house where Jesus is teaching because it's jam-packed. Well, in those days, most houses, 
were one or two stories, but they had an ex- exterior stairway up to the flat roof top of the house. And that was really considered an extension of their house. And they saw that. By, by the way, any of you know like some, some men, typically it's men, it could be anybody, but you know, these are guys that just kind of can get things done. You think there's no way something could be done, but you know a guy and this guy can get it. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't know anybody like that, hang around our church. We have a bunch of people like that. But anyway, yeah, so these guys come up with a way. They haul their buddy up to the top of this house, the flat roof. Now, flat roofs in that day, they would have a layer of clay on them or clay tiles. And then under that, a bunch of sticks that were sitting perpendicular to a bunch of uh, wooden beams that were about three feet apart. So you have the beams, then sticks, and then that would hold the mud, and then the clay would harden. And that's what, well, these guys, they're up there. They calculate, because these, the, these are these guys, they calculate exactly where in this roof they can dig a hole that's gonna drop their buddy right down in front of Jesus. So they do that, and they start digging through. Can you imagine being in the room I mean, you're in the room, you're hearing Jesus, people are packed in, it is tight, it's crowded, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's some like dust just kind of filtering through the room, and then some debris starts falling down, you know, and you know, it's, uh, that's, and then all of a sudden, you see light coming in for where it shouldn't be coming in. There's probably some homeowner there going, hey, what are you doing to my roof? And then here comes this guy, lowered down on some sort of a pallet contraption, And boom, sure enough, right in front of Jesus. And now, because everybody knows Jesus, they've heard that Jesus has done healings. I mean, the pressure's on, right? All these crowds, he's there teaching. And then from the roof, a guy's lowered down and right in front of him, boom. All eyes on Jesus. Now, that's the setup of how this event in history begins. But as we see Jesus' response to this, he will uncover, he will bring to the surface three spiritual truths that we all need to know in order even to be a Christian, basically. Three deep spiritual truths. All right, and so when he does that, and here's the first one. The first spiritual truth. Are you ready? Some of you don't wanna hear this, but are you ready, all right? Okay, first truth, it's gonna sound weird, so hang with me. First truth, our biggest problem is usually not what we think. Our biggest problem is not what we think. So here's what happens. As the guy lands there, he's paralyzed. He's right in front of Jesus, all eyes on Jesus. Jesus does something, but... As he does something, he starts out, he doesn't heal the man. Here's how it goes. Uh, He does something else. By the way, what he does, what he says next, separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Here's what happens in the next verse, verse 20. Talking about Jesus, it says, seeing their faith, he said, this is Jesus talking, friend, says this to the paralyzed guy, friend, your sins are, are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Okay, I gotta tell you. But I'm thinking, you know, the four friends looking down in the hole, 
and all the people that are jammed in this house and the guy laying there, my sins are forgiven. You know, well, thanks, Jesus, but I got a bigger problem here. I can't walk. I can't work. I can't walk. You know, I have a big problem in my life and I'm coming to you to get this fixed. He's saying, hey, I need to be healed so I can walk. And in essence, Jesus is saying, no, you don't have a bigger problem. You not being able to walk is not your biggest problem. You don't have a bigger problem than your sin. And so this man, does, he maybe doesn't get it and Jesus sort of drives him deeper. He drives us deeper too as we're reading this because we tend to do the same thing. Right now, you know, a certain percentage of us, we're sort of preoccupied with some problem in our life. And if it's not happening now, you know, over the last decade, the last 10 years or the 10 years before that, we hit these big problems and we tend to think, boy, if this problem could be dealt with, and sometimes we pray to God that way, God, if you could fix this problem in my life, I will never be unhappy again. I mean, that will solve everything. I will be good to go. But here's the thing. Your biggest problem is not something that's happened to you. Your biggest problem is not something that somebody did to you. Your biggest problem is not that you're a victim of some circumstance. Your main problem is actually how we respond to life and all those things. But this guy's thinking, if I could only walk, yeah, I'd never, you know, just like we do, boy, I'd never be unhappy again. And, and we all know if we think about it, yeah, you won't be unhappy for a while, right? And then what's gonna happen? Well, in the next year or 10 years, there's gonna be some other problem or some big issue that you have to deal with. And then that'll be your big problem that you're gonna want to get solved. Because there's all these issues pop up in life. And think about all of us. You might be sitting here and you're thinking, I don't really have any big problems. You know, maybe a lot of us are that way. You know, I don't have any problems right now. And some of you think, man, I've, I've got some issues. I got some problems that are so big, I don't even know how they can be fixed. I don't know how they can be resolved. But here's the thing. Our problems, at any time, we can get one phone call. One phone call about a, a doctor's test. One phone call about an accident. One phone call. And that problem in that phone call would swallow up every other problem we had, right? I mean, probably all of it, no matter what our issue, we get that call and that would swallow up all the other problems wouldn't matter anymore because there would be this bigger problem. And some of you in our church family have already gotten that call and you know exactly what I'm talking about. All your other problems went away because you've got this big thing, some news, something you didn't expect. But even that, even that biggest problem that comes by way of phone call or something else, Jesus is telling us even that is not our biggest problem. We think it is, but it's not. It's not my biggest problem and it's not yours. We tend to think, 
hey, if I just got this one problem solved, if this one thing could happen, if I could just get that job, if I could just take care of these finances, if I just this, just that, if this, you know, so-and-so got out of the hospital, you know, whatever it was, but our danger, and so we pray to God about that, and there's nothing wrong with praying to God about that. He's inviting us to do that. But we can get into the mindset wrongly, here's the danger, that we can get into the mindset that if God will just take care of this problem, then I'm good to go. And then 10 years later, it'll be like, well, if God could just take care of that problem, I'm good to go. And it's almost, the danger is we're looking at all these solving of problems. It's like we're looking at those things, those things that solve our problems as little saviors in our life. That's the danger. And so, yeah, we're talking to the Savior, God, but we're almost acting like these little things, if they were fixed, they would be the saviors in our life. And we're kind of looking to them besides Jesus. And what Jesus is reminding us in this story is we're not thinking deep enough. We're not quite getting there because none of those things are your biggest problem. And, and then when we get to it, it's like we must change the thing our heart wants most in order to address our biggest need. So the first spiritual truth is, hey, our problem, our biggest problem is not what we think, typically. Our biggest problem is usually not what we think it is. The second spiritual truth is, only God can fix our biggest problem. Only God can fix our biggest problem. So Jesus says this man's sins are forgiven. When he does that, that is super offensive to some of the people sitting in the room. Because we've already been told by Luke that there are Pharisees and teachers of the law that have come from different, uh, different cities and even Jerusalem. And so they're offended. They're offended at, at Jesus and what he says to the man. They're offended, and they're sure that God is offended too. And so next verse, verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, so they're thinking in their heads, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So blasphemy is, is, is something against God or saying you're God. He's saying, who, so they're all thinking, who's this guy? He speaks blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And guess what? The, you know, usually the Pharisees aren't right. This time, the Pharisees are exactly right. They are spot on. Who can forgive sins except for God? No man can forgive sins against God but God. No man can do it. No pastor can forgive sins. Buckle up, because I'm gonna get in your business now. No priest can forgive sins. No priest or pastor can forgive you your, all your sins. Does not happen that way. You can only forgive sin if it's against you. You can only forgive a sin if the person has sinned against you. But that's not, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Everything we do wrong, so we do wrong things, all of us do. If you're not sure about that, read the 10 commandments, it'll clarify, you won't get past number one. And you'll be like, oh, whoa, mess that up. 
We've all done wrong. And some of the times when we do wrong, we do wrong to another person. When we do wrong to another person, that person can sort of absorb that and say, I'm not gonna hold that against you and give you forgiveness. But even if we've sinned against another person, that's still a sin against God because God created us, God gave us life, God told us what was right and wrong, God told us how to treat people, and so anytime we do anything wrong, whether it's against another person or not, or even if it's just in our head, that's a sin against God. I've used this example before, but I drive a pickup, I park it back there in that corner. Not because it's real nice or anything like that, I park it there to leave room for other people to park. But anyway, so I'm parked out there and let's say one of you backed in and dented my truck. And so then you're, you're bummed and so you're waiting at my truck and when the service is over, you know, I'm walking out there and you go, hey, Kevin, I don't know how you tell I put a big dent in your truck. And what if I just said, you know what? Hey, that's okay. As a matter of fact, I forgive you and, and he starts talking about insurance. Where I go, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the insurance. Don't worry about anything. I forgive you. I'll take care of it. You don't have to turn it in. We're not calling the police. I'll just take care of it. You're forgiven. And then you're forgiven. Boom. Because you, you did something against me. That, but, but it's not when you forgive, nobody pays. Who pays? In that circumstance, I would pay. Either I pay to get it fixed or I pay by driving around a dented truck. Either way, I sort of pay. That's okay. But what if, what if after church you dented Luke's truck, Pastor Luke's truck? He, he recently got a truck. It's not a new truck, but he likes his truck. And so you were out there and you dented his truck. And then I see, and I'm walking to my truck and I see you parked by Luke's truck and I say, what happened? He said, I put a big dent in Luke's truck. And what if I said, hey, don't worry about that. You're forgiven. <laughs> Just go on. Don't, don't call the police. Don't worry about your insurance. You're forgiven. Just go on home. Everything's fine. And then Luke hears it. Then Luke comes out and he's like, what happened to my truck? And I'm like, oh, some guy dented it. And then Luke's like, well, who's going to pay? And I, I don't know who's going to pay. <laughs> hey, he left. You know, I don't know. He's not forgiven, right? The guy, Luke didn't forgive him. I can't forgive him for denting Luke's truck, right? Right. You see, forgiving this man, when Jesus says, I forgive you of your sins, it's Jesus claiming to be God because only God can forgive you of all your sins. And the religious leaders know it. They get it. They're outraged. What are you saying? And Jesus knows their thinking. He gets it. They're, you can probably see it out in the look of their faces. You know, they're outraged. And then Jesus asks a super interesting question. Usually when Jesus asks questions, they're always interesting. This is really, really interesting. He says to them, because they're thinking, well, who can do that but God? This guy, he's a blasphemer. This is terrible. I can't believe this guy said this. Who does he think he is? And then Jesus says, hey, by the way, which is easier? To forgive someone's sin, to say, I forgive you of your sins, or to say, you're healed. That's what happens in this next verse, verse 22. But Jesus, aware of the reasonings, what they're thinking, answered and said to them, 
Here's the question. Why are you reasoning in your hearts? And then he asks them. Question. Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? Now, this is a really interesting question because it's on like a couple of different levels here, if you think about it. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or you're healed? Well, I've been pondering this. Here's what I think. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because nobody can disprove that. Well, who says? I said. Well, you can't do that. Yeah, I can. You know, I mean, you can't disprove it. You say, hey, somebody's sins are forgiven. If a pastor tells you your sins are forgiven, it's hard to disprove. It's wrong. We can show in the Bible that it's wrong. But if I say you're healed and you don't get up, it's disproven immediately. So here's the key, because this is the way Jesus says it. Which is easier to say? Well, if we're just saying it, your sins are forgiven is easier because it can't be disproved. Because if I say you're healed, it could be disproved immediately. Okay, hold that thought. But now let's just go one step deeper. Which is easier not to say, but which is easier to do? Which is easier to affect? Which is easier to make happen? Forgiving your sins or healing you physically? Okay, if saying forgiving your sins is easier than saying you're healed, which one's easier to do? Well, the answer to that is flipped. Because we know of several people in the Bible who God gave the ability to heal people's physical bodies. You know, the disciples could do that when they started their ministry. Jesus mentioned a couple of prophets when we were talking in his first sermon in Nazareth. We talked about last week Elijah and Elisha. Both of those guys healed somebody. So multiple people could heal somebody, that could be done. But who can forgive you of all of your sins? Multiple people? No, one person. God. Because all of your sins are ultimately, even if they're also sins against other people, all of them are ultimately sins against God. So then Jesus says this. He's kind of, he kind of, it's kind of rhetorical. Yeah, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because it can't be proven or disproven. But then Jesus says in verse 24, next verse, Jesus says, but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns and says to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately, he got up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. He went home joyful, praising God. Boom. Jesus, in that moment, shows, he shows that he can forgive sins because only God allows us to be able to heal. So if God's with him, all of a sudden, he kind of proves the unprovable at the beginning. And so, keeping track now, 
These deeper spiritual truths that we need to understand, number one, our biggest problem is not what we think it is. And number two, only God can fix it. And then number three is this, our biggest problem is only solved through faith in Jesus. So you hit my car and, you know, and I say I forgive you, doesn't mean no one pays, it means I pay. But if you hit somebody else's car, if you hit Luke's car and I say, hey, you're forgiven, Luke has every right to come up to me and say, did you tell that guy it was okay and that he was forgiven? I say, yeah. And Luke has every right to say, well, who's gonna pay for my car, my truck? My truck's messed up. I don't want a dented truck. But if I said to Luke, Luke, don't worry, I'll pay. Just go get an estimate, whatever it is, I'll pay. As soon as I know the number, I'll put the money in your account. If I said that and Luke did it and I did pay, then that guy is forgiven because he doesn't owe Luke anything anymore, right? Luke's vehicle is fixed. So think about this. These guys lower Jesus down. He's here. There's dust. There's debris. Everybody's focused in. What's Jesus going to say? Four people are staring down through the hole. The moment Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, the moment he said that, Jesus had to die on the cross. The moment Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, the only way he could say that is if he paid. And the only way he can pay for our sins is through his death on the cross. Because all of our sins against our creator are so bad, and part of it's because they're against God, who does nothing wrong, that they deserve eternal separation from God. And the only way God could fix that would be to absorb the debt, and the only way God could absorb the debt for our sins was by him coming in flesh, is what Jesus did, and allow himself to be put to death on the cross of Calvary. You see, Jesus was saying, every sin you've ever done, I'll pay for you. And that's the exact same thing that Jesus is saying to you today. Right now, he's saying, every sin you've ever done, I will forgive you. I'll absorb the debt. I'll pay, even if it takes every drop of blood in my body. And when Jesus said for him, your sins are forgiven, if he was the only person on earth, Jesus would have died on the cross for him. But Jesus is saying that to all of us. We've all sinned. All of our sin is against God. All of our sin deserves eternal separation from him. And Jesus says, all pay. But we have to respond in faith. That's exactly what Jesus did in the story. He saw their faith. And that preceded all that. So every single person getting baptized today in first or second service, all those people getting baptized are saying, Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I'm putting my faith, my belief, my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. 
coming to church or even getting baptized or doing, that does not earn my salvation. Nothing earns my salvation. I can't earn it. It's a gift from God. I'm getting baptized to show you on the outside what God has already given me on the inside, salvation. So God is asking you to admit your need. The other thing I love about this too is the joy part. He, this guy gets up and he goes away glorifying God. Here's what happens to us. When we get our biggest problem solved, you know, some issue that's you know, on our minds and, and just some temporal problem that we have and somebody comes out and you, or you know a guy and he knows a guy and they get that fixed, you're like, woo! That was my biggest problem. Man, I am good to go. And you are happy. That's not really your biggest problem. Jesus says sin is your biggest problem. And he's paid the price for you. He's paid your penalty. And if you just put your faith, your trust in him, you get that salvation. Salvation from what? Your eternal destiny, the, the punishment that is right for you to have. You're saved from that just as a gift from God. And you get the gift through faith. And if you have that gift right now, you should remember that and experience the joy. My, the biggest problem in my life, somebody gave me the solution. I didn't earn it. It was just given to me because I put my faith in Jesus. But here's the deal. Not everybody's done that. Not everybody here has come to a place in their life where they've put their faith, their trust in Christ and only Christ for their salvation. Because we, we get that mixed up. Yeah, we're good with Jesus, but you know, I'm a pretty good guy and I live a right life and I got baptized or I'm pretty good and I go to church five times a week and this and that and the other. You know, I, I'm a good parent and you know, none of that can help save you. Doing right things does not take one wrong thing away from you. Only Jesus can do that. If you haven't done that yet put your faith put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone you can do that in your heart right now just man yeah I know I've sinned against God and he died to pay for my sins I'm putting my trust all my eggs in the Jesus basket I'm putting my trust in him alone and if you're doing that today Call out to him. Tell him. Talk to him. He invites you to do that, wants you to do that. There's a simple prayer that can express that, that decision, your decision to God. And I'm going to help you with that in just a moment. So I'd like us to bow our heads. And if you came in here and you're not slam dunk sure that you've already, that you're already a Christian based on a point in time that you know you put your faith in Christ. If you, if you are sure of that, then you're good to go. You should just be praying for others. If you're not sure, you can't look back to a point where you know that you put your faith in Jesus. You're not 100% sure you've done that. Do it today. And call out to God in this way. 
And so you can, God knows everything you've ever done, even things you've done wrong in your head. He knows everything about you. He knows more about you than anybody. And he remembers more about you than you do. He still loves you. And he's still offering forgiveness. And here's how we can respond to that. If you've decided to put your faith and you haven't done that before, just follow along. You can say this prayer silently. God knows your every thought. Father God, I know that I've sinned against you. I admit it. And I know that my sin deserves separation from you forever after I die. But I also realize, God, that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, who was perfect and never had a sin, to die to pay for my sins. He absorbed my debt. He paid so I wouldn't have to. And so God, right now, I'm putting all of my faith, my trust, my belief in Jesus and Jesus alone when it comes to my salvation. And God, I want you to come into my life. I want to follow you out of gratitude and joy. Lord, do that. Help me to follow you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. If you prayed that prayer today, um, we have a room, it's called room one. It's right that corner right there. I'll be standing there with some packets. We have a gift for you because you might have some more questions. Well, you know, what about evolution? What about science? What about this? What about that? What about the Bible? This, one of my, it's like my favorite little book to answer those questions. I'll be standing there, happy to give them to you or just pop in. If you're coming around the other way, pop in one of the guys, just say, hey, I want one of those packets. I, I prayed that prayer, I want a packet, we'll give it to you. Our gift to you. And we're glad that you're here and now we're gonna close in, in song. Let's direct our voices to him.